We're in the ninth chapter of Romans, getting down in the latter part of the chapter, about verse 24 is where we got to. We'd like to back up and get our thoughts together as we walk down through this, thinking about the election and work of God in salvation. So uh, he says in verse 21, does the potter not have power over the clay? Can he not do as he wants? Can he not make out of one lump a vessel of honor and a vessel of dishonor? And so does God not have that power and that authority with mankind to honest to God do as he pleases with man? And, you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of false doctrine, a lot of false thoughts have robbed the glory from God and put it on man's part but it's God's power, and it's God that produces the church, the called out. So verse 22 and 23, What if God, willing to shew His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had afore prepared unto His glory. So notice, notice how it's worded. If God's wanting to make His wrath and power known, what's He going to do? He's going to endure with long-suffering. What's God have to do for man to be destroyed? I mean, God, people say, well, you, you say then that God's forcing people into hell. By the Scripture, what God has to do for man to be destroyed is endure with long-suffering and let Him go. And as we heard already this morning, man's natural instinct, his natural desire, and his natural path is to sin and to go further and further away from God. And it's God's endurance on these vessels of wrath, these that are fitted for destruction, God's enduring and letting them go. And it's that, that what does that do? It makes known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy. God's goodness and His long-suffering on them that He does not save proves, and I believe it proves it more and more day by day, that those that are saved are only saved by His grace. Now think about it like this now. If every Jew was saved, then would they not say we're saved because we're Jews? If everybody that went to church was saved, then would man not say we're saved because we go to church? But you know what there was? There was a remnant of the Jew that was saved, and the rest died lost. Why is that? Because of the grace and mercy of God that redeemed a few of them. There's a few that go to church that are saved, and the rest are blinded and they're lost. That's the way it is every time we gather. And there, there's going to be people out of churches where the gospel is, they're going to die lost. You know what that's going to prove? That the few that are saved are only saved because of the divine grace of God that convinced and brought them to the Son of God. The long-suffering and endurance of God on the unbelieving makes known the riches of His mercy. And I tell you what it does. God could, could He not save us all at six years old? Could, does God not have 
that kind of power to save me at six year old and keep me as I live. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, God does that. He does do that. And I'm not detracting from that in the least bit. But I'm going to tell you it's honest. It's not the same as God letting me go into sin and proving by my natural way that I'm not coming to God. That's what He did for me. God let me go till I realized by the grace of God that I was not going to come to Him by myself. I had went the other way and the other ways what pleased me and I was not coming to God. You know why I'm here? Because He chose to call me. That's the only reason. And that's the only reason you're here. God lets man go till he comes to the place that he realizes that it's only by the grace of God I believe that's what we have here. That's what we have in Pharaoh. That's what we have with Egypt. That's what we have with an unbelieving world. That's what we have with the unbelieving Jews. They're all there and they're still serving the purpose of God, proving that it's only by grace and anybody's saved. To the praise of His grace who's made it accepted in the Beloved. Even us, verse 24, even us whom He hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So who is it then? Who are these vessels of mercy? Whom He had afore prepared, so prepare in advance for unto glory. So Almighty God, by His divine foreknowledge, and I think sometimes it's beyond my ability to understand what omnipotent and omniscient really means. But God's not looking into the future to learn something about me and you. Because God already knows everything. You see, God knows the future. He does. He knows the past. He knows what's coming. He's not looking into the future to learn. He already knows these things. And His plan of redemption was already in place when Adam was formed. These vessels of glory, they were prepared beforehand. This was the plan and direction of God. Well, God's just sending the gospel out and whoever comes, comes, and then God's picking out of them that come. I don't believe that for a minute. Because God came to Paul before Paul was ever saved and he said, listen here, buddy, you're a chosen vessel and you're going to carry my name to the Gentiles. Paul didn't choose. God chose. And God chooses today as He sees fit. Even us whom He hath called. The difference now is the call of God. That word means to call aloud and directly. It's individual. It's personal. It's by name. He says in John that He's the good shepherd. His sheep know His voice and He calleth them by name. He calls His sheep out. I've heard it said, and I, I believe it's taken as a reason to stir a little emotion sometimes. But when Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb, He said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if He didn't call by name, everybody would have got up. Why didn't He get everybody up? You hear this verse misused often. 
that God's not a respecter of persons. And that verse is interpreted that God deals with everybody the same. Well, if there were other people buried with Lazarus, why didn't He get them up too? Why was it only Lazarus? That's what He wanted to do. That's what He chose to do. If God dealt with everybody the same, why didn't He come to everybody just like He did Noah? He didn't come to everybody like He did Noah. Noah preached. They were aware, but they didn't hear what Noah heard directly from God. They didn't. He says in Matthew, He says, If the mighty works which have been done in you, Bethsaida and Chorazin, if those works had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. I know we're well aware of that Scripture. But Jesus Himself says, you have had a greater opportunity than what they had in Sodom and Gomorrah. So, that's that's the wrong... Could we agree then, if that's true and that's the Word of God, that is the Word of God. If that's true, then when God says, I'm no respecter of persons... He's not saying that He's doing every man exactly the same because He's not. He doesn't have to and He's not obligated to. He's not obligated to save me. He's not obligated to save you. It's not that He was constrained by the law to do so. It was the compassion and the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of God that brought salvation to you and I. And if if you leave compassion out of it, and if you leave mercy out of it, then nobody's going to be saved. You know what God's going to do? He's going to endure with long suffering. He's going to let me go. I'm going to follow my natural course and deeper and deeper into sin and rebellion and wickedness and ungodliness. I'm going to go until the day comes that He cuts me off at the ground and casts me into the fire. Long-suffering's not enough to save man. No, I tell you the goodness of God, just like He says, and we read last week in Ecclesiastes, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. You know what that is? Long-suffering. God's not coming and cutting man down when he falls short and when he sins. God's long-suffering and He's merciful with man. That sentence doesn't come speedily. What's that produce? Well, it says, because that's the case, it's fully said in the hearts of the sons of men to do evil. Man thinks, well, God's not going to do anything. I'm going to get away with it. And his heart is hardened by the long-suffering of God, and he delves himself further into sin and rebellion towards God. So long-suffering does not save. What saves is the divine grace and the direct call of God unto the heart of His elect. Unto whom He hath called. What's the difference? It's not whether I believed or not. It's not whether I was a good person or not. Not whether I was a Jew or whether I was a Gentile. Not whether I went to church. Not whether mom and daddy believed. Not whether my brother and me were good folks together. Not whether I had children. Absolutely none of that mattered. You know what makes the difference 
is the call of God. If you can stand up today and say that God has saved you, know this then, you're saved only because God chose to have sovereign mercy and compassion on you and He called you out of the darkness and the kingdom of the devil and set you in the kingdom of His Son. Well, preacher, I came to that. You came to it because of the call of God that came to your heart. Now you take the call out, where are you going to be today? We're going to be without hope and in the clutches of sin. We're going to be under the long suffering of God and God's going to endure and into sin we're going to go. It's the call that makes the difference. It's not a place for the church to get up on the high horse and think highly of themselves and less of an un, uh, a dying world. A world that's blinded and corrupted by sin. Because that's where we came from. We didn't come out of a different pile. We didn't come out of a different family. I'll tell you where I was and where I was heading. I was heading into sin just like the world was. And God plucked me out of that. So when I stand and say I'm saved, it's glory unto God for calling me out of that. Because I'd have never come had He not called me aloud. It's the call that makes the difference. Let's look in just a place or two. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 9. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when, when Jesus says in the New Testament, thank you, when He says that no man can come unto Me except the Father draw Him, it's this call that He's talking about. And it's more than just, alright Anthony, it's time for you to come. It's not the preacher calling names. I tell you, there's, there's a big mistake made right there. Right. Calling names, going and talking to people and saying, why don't you come on down? Big mistakes can be made there. But this call is a call of God. And yea, we hear the gospel aloud with natural ears. But the call of God is individual and it's ministered by the Spirit of God. That as I'm hearing the Word in my ears, I'm thinking about that in my mind, the Holy Ghost is ministering God's grace into my heart. And you know what it's doing? I'd heard it here many times. I'd heard it really from a little child. I'd heard about sin, heard about wrong, heard about Jesus. But the day came that the call of God came and I was hearing it just the same way right here, but it was different in here. The grace of God by the Spirit was influencing me and i tell you what He was doing. He was convincing me that that was true for me. He convinced me that I was on the road to hell. I can stand here and say, if you're not saved, you're going to go to hell. Everybody here knows that. That don't save anybody. There's people in the world know that. I got family. 
had a friend dying. You need to go talk to him. He's, he's going to go to hell. There's knowledge there. But you know that knowledge, that's not enough. Because I'll think in myself, well that's not me though. I mean the world's going there. I, I believe. I'm a good person. I'll justify myself over top of that knowledge in the head. But that God came one day. And I'm going to tell you the truth now. I didn't argue with God. When I'd hear it from mom and dad or from Sunday school, or when I heard it from preaching, I'd say, well, that's not me. I'm not going to die and go to hell because I'm better and I'm good and I'm all right and I'm saved and I go to church. All of those things were there in my mind. But I tell you, when the call of God came, there was no arguing. God said, you're dying and going to hell. And I said, I'm dying and going to hell. I was convinced by the power of God that that was true. So again, to say I'm thankful I believed it, well, that's not entirely true. God convinced you believed it because God convinced you. If hearing it was enough, you'd have believed it before then. But I tell you what God proved, that knowing about it was not enough for you to be saved. Learning about it, He said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father. You know what the called out, the church can say? That though I heard it, though I learned about it, though I, I, I heard it from a child up, it was not real to me until the grace of God convinced me of it. And we can say like Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this, but the Father in heaven. So in 1 Corinthians, God is faithful by whom you were called. This was God's work, calling man into salvation. God did this work. Again in Hebrews chapter number 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. The holy brethren, you know what they are? They're partakers. They're a sharer, a co-participant, or a partner in the holy calling of God. Now there's a... There might be an argument among scholars who wrote Hebrews. I say Paul wrote it, but that, honest to God, it don't matter. The Word of God says that those that are holy brethren and those that are saved, you know how they got there? They're sharers, they're co-participants in the heavenly calling that God called from heaven to their soul, translating them from darkness into the light of the kingdom of God. God did this work. Uh, and we'll just stop right there. i got a couple more scriptures. I feel that that's sufficient for that. But partakers of the heavenly calling, even us whom He hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So let's go back for a second now. Now that we've realized that God's not a respecter of persons, that verse does not mean that God treats everybody the same and that everybody has the same opportunity. That's not true. Everyone does not have the same opportunity. 
So what does that mean then? When Peter comes to the Gentile's house and he says, I perceive that God's not a respecter of persons. And when he come back before the apostles and he says, God's not a respecter of persons. You know what they were in that day? They were Jews. And all their life they had been taught that the Gentiles were heathens, they were ungodly, they were idolaters, they were unclean, you couldn't marry them, you couldn't sit down and eat with them, you couldn't touch them, or they would make you to be unclean. You were to be cut off from and separate from the Gentiles. That's what they were taught. And honest to God, that was right. That's what the law said. We were cut off by the law. But you know, God in saving through Jesus Christ, He didn't take into account whether a man was a Jew or a Gentile. God didn't take into account whether man was rich or poor. See, when God is electing, He's not looking at bank accounts and choosing those that are up in the money. He's not looking at jobs and prestige and choosing those that are of high prestige and great knowledge and understanding. He's not looking at those that are moral and religious. He's not looking whether I'm a Jew or a Gentile. God's choosing and He's choosing unconditionally. He's not taking into regard what or who I am in the flesh. So Peter, who told God, I've never eaten anything unclean, and I'm not going to start now. And God said, Peter, whatever I clean, don't you call it unclean. If I say it's right, don't you argue with me, Peter. And so Peter goes down to the Gentiles' house. He preaches the gospel unto them. They get saved. And the Spirit of God enters into their lives. And Peter says, I never thought this would happen. That Gentiles, the Jews didn't either, and I'm going to tell you they fought about it all the way down till 70 A.D. They fought with Paul because Paul preached to the Gentiles. Because Paul preached that the Jews and the Gentiles were equal in Jesus Christ. That was a hard tradition to break. But we know it's true. God's not taken into regard. He doesn't favor the Jew over the Gentile in His election. If that was the case, then more Jews would have been saved than there were Gentiles. But God is unconditionally, without looking at me, my merit, my name, or who I am, but only by the mercy and grace and loving kindness of God is He calling those that will be saved. Even us whom He hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So you know what people's going to say? Now you put yourself in Paul's day. Paul's writing the New Testament as he writes this letter. They don't have the revelation that we've got. They can't turn to Matthew. And they can't turn to 1 John. And they can't turn to Ephesians and see all of this writing that we've been blessed with today. But what they're going to say is, well, Paul... Paul's crazy, and he's just making this stuff up. <coughs> now that's what they say about me today. They still say, you teach this, you teach election, period. 
You say the Word a lot of times, even though the Word's clearly stated in the Word of God, and you're, you're an outcast immediately. So Paul then, Paul's not going to leave it at just this is what I say and what I think, but we're going to have several Scriptures that he's going to quote from the Old Testament. Now, I believe this is the way we preach and teach today. I could get up and tell you what I think. That's not worth five cents. But there ought to be evidence that what I'm saying is in line with what the Bible says. So Paul has talked about this election. Paul's talked about God's choosing. Paul's talked about that not all the Jews are going to be saved, but those that God saw fit to save... Those are the ones that believe. God, He's going to prove that with Scripture out of the Old Testament. So in verse 25, As He saith also in O.C. I realize, translation, it don't look like it. But that's Hosea. Remember the Old Testament, Hebrew. The New Testament written in Greek. So there's a loss in translation in some of this. But O.C., Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. So let's turn then to Hosea and let's read it right out of the Old Testament. Hosea chapter number 1, verse number 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall it be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. This was prophesied of by the prophet Hosea. Now, I want you to notice a few things here. It will benefit us when we get into the next couple chapters, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. In the verse before, he says, Call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. You know what God's going to do? He's going to cut off the kingdom of Israel. And people are going to argue with that in the day and hour that we're living in. But I'm going to tell you that from... Kings and Chronicles onward in the lineage of time, you don't read anything about the kingdom of Israel any longer. God brought Assyria in. It's when Zedekiah. He brought them in. He carried them out. He brought in His own people and moved them in there. And there they lived. And you know what you see in the New Testament? Samaritans. Half-breeds. Hated by the Jew. What happened to those northern ten tribes? God destroyed them. He did away with them. And yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people. So can you see then, God's cutting off, I mean if, if you'll take it by numbers, ten twelfths of Israel. And yet, 
in spite of that, the numbers is the sand of the sea, because these that were not His people. Now who's He talking about? The Gentiles. That's what He's talking about in Romans chapter number 9. These which were not His people are going to be called the children of God. Now that was, that was hard to swallow when Hosea wrote that down. I just don't see how that's going to happen. Like Paul's got the vision of it. He's seen it happen. And Paul says through Jesus Christ, the Gentiles are equals and co-heirs with the Jews because it's no longer about my flesh and who I am. It's the call of God that makes the difference. Peter said, add to your faith. He went through that list. He said, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling an election sure. What ought I to be sure of? I tell you the first thing, if I say that I'm saved, if I say I've, I've come and been to an altar and God saved me there, I ought to be able to go back to that time and I ought to be able to make sure that it was God that called me, that it wasn't Mama that called me or Daddy, that it wasn't a preacher or the church, that it wouldn't, well, so-and-so got saved, and I think I ought to, but that it was indeed the power of God that convinced me and that drew me to salvation. If it wasn't God that called, it wasn't God that saved. So make your calling and election sure. Be sure that what you have came from the direction of God and not of yourself or of mankind. It's the call of God that makes the difference. Again, now he quoted there, I realize the way it's written, it looks like one place, but the second part is out of chapter 2 of Hosea, verse number 23. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which are not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. Look at the change that God is bringing in the lives. You know what these are? These are people that were not following God. They were not serving God. They were not praying to God for help. You know where they were? They were at the idols and the things of the world. They were bowing down unto them. They were serving sin and ungodliness. They were heathens and wicked. Now that's what they were. And such were some of you. But what made the difference? My God, it, it wasn't that we were good. We know otherwise. We know otherwise. But it was God that called and I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people. I don't say it first. I don't come and claim God first. That's presented a lot of times. That's a falsehood. God says, You're my people. God draws. God saves. God changes. God adopts and brings into the family. And then I say, Thou art my God. You see, I say Thou art my God because God has adopted me and indwelt me by the grace of the Spirit of God. Because now had, 
had he not loved me, I'd have never loved him. That's Scripture. We love him because he first. It's not something that I had. It's the opposite. I despised the Word of God and wanted to get away from it. So, not a new idea, but God prophesied that He was going to call a sinful people and make them the people of God by His power in Hosea. Again, verse 27, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Now when you read that, you could get the wrong idea of what he's saying. But let's look in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter number 10. This is where Paul is quoting this from. So he says there in Romans, a short work. And that would lead me to think short in time. But that's not indeed what he's saying. We'll see that here. Verse number 22. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. So here in the Old Testament, consumption is the word. In the New Testament, short. And what both of those words are talking about is a cutting off. You know why it's short? Because God's cut it off. You know why it's a consumption? Because God is consuming. He's cutting off the lives of these. So let's put it all together now. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, I don't know how many there were. I'm going to say in probably, in, uh, uh, there's no need in even speculating. But God's saying there's a lot of them. We'll just leave it at that. God says they're as the sand of the sea, they're large in number, but only a remnant shall return. So how many is a remnant? I mean, out of the whole, if we set this book on fire and I say there's just a remnant left, how much of this book is left? Not, it's not half of it. I wouldn't even say it's a quarter of it, would you? Probably not even 10%. We wouldn't call 10% a remnant. I tell you, it's just going to be a small amount of the whole. And God says... Though the children of Israel are as the sand of the sea, there's only a remnant going to be left. Now, why is that? You know what people would say? My God, if it went the way man believes today in Baptist churches across our country, we'd say, well, God failed them. And the Word of God didn't help them any. And their ministers must have been bad. And the churches must have been weak. And they failed these people. And that's why that they died lost. It's your fault. You're the reason that people are dying lost. No, I tell you, there's only going to be a remnant saved. The consumption decreed. You know what God's declared? A cutting off. You know what He declared in Hosea? I'm going to cut off 
the kingdom of Israel. You know why they're not going to be saved? Because God's going to cut them off. A consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Well, that's not hardly fair, is it? Were they good people? Were they begging God for mercy? Were they wanting to do the right thing with all of their strength? Were they wanting to do the right thing with 5% of their strength? So is God wrong for cutting them down? You put yourself there. What are you going to decide? Cut them down. We'd be like James and John. Lord, you want us to call fire down on them? Let us call fire like Elijah did and let's show them who you really are. That's the way man is of himself. You would have cut them off too. You know what they were doing? They were worshiping idols. They were forsaking the commandment and the word of God. They were killing and stoning the prophets and throwing them away. They disregarded God completely and worshiped idols. You tell me it was not right of God to cut them off. God cut them off. He chose to cut them off. And you know what overflowed? Righteousness. God's power and righteousness was on display in cutting off the wicked. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. God's cutting off. A short work, he says back in Romans, For He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. The Lord determined to save a few. A short work. It's short because of the consumption, the cut off. You know what's going to be saved? The elect and chosen of God. And the only reason they're going to be saved It's because of the election and choosing of God. Because outside of the call of God and God's choosing, they're going on in sin. I believe believe you can see all of that coming together in what few verses we've talked about here. That's what happened with Israel. That's what would have happened with me and you if you're saved. That's what's happening with the world today. The only hope man has is that God calls. Now I can stand and beg you to be saved. And you never get saved. You'll never get saved by me begging you to be that way. It's the call of God that makes the difference. So on down in Romans again. And Isaiah, and as Isaiah said before, so we've got a quote from Hosea, from two places in Hosea. We've had a quote from Isaiah chapter 10. He's going to quote Isaiah one more time said before, except the Lord of Seboeth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like Gomorrah. This is a pretty popular verse here. It's in Isaiah chapter 1. You've heard it many times. Verse number 9, except the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been likened to Gomorrah. So what's Isaiah see? As the Holy Spirit... Wow, that's Isaiah's opinion. We know better. This was written by holy men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit reveal to Isaiah? Isaiah, 
If it hadn't been for me, I'd have destroyed this place like Sodom. But I saved a few out of the destruction and out of the fire. And if it hadn't been for me, everybody would have been destroyed. I was looking up words in Peter over the weekend. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. That word turning, if you look that up in the Greek, it means incinerate. You know what would have been left had God not intervened in the affairs of man? Everyone would have been incinerated in the fury of His anger. But God intervened. He called and He drew and He saved a remnant. And they're saved for one reason, to glorify Him and His works. And they got saved by only one reason, that God called them out of the world and into the family of God. Not regarding who you were, not regarding what you've done, not regarding your name. If any of those things would have mattered, the Jew would have got in and the door would have been shut on us. And yet, God is calling and saving. And I think that verse in Isaiah, very important. If God didn't, everybody would be destroyed. So what shall we say then? What shall we conclude we're almost out of time. We won't get to look at this much. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed, after, followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? So what's God say? The Gentiles have found something that they were not looking for. They have stumbled on something that they didn't even know that they wanted. Now that's the truth. You ever found something that you wasn't looking for? You ever pulled a coat down or pulled on a pair of breeches and there's $5 in the pocket? That's pretty exciting to me. I wasn't looking for it. Didn't know it was there. It was a wonder to see it. Well, you, you know what happened? I believe the Lord Jesus gives us a great picture of the man that found the treasure hid in the field. He wasn't looking for treasure, but he found it. He saw the value of it. You know what he did? He sold everything he had that he could buy the field and have that treasure. Well, here, the Gentiles, they were not following after righteousness. They were not seeking after God. They were not interested in God's forgiveness. They, didn't, they weren't interested in offering God a sacrifice. I, it, you talk about the opposite. Instead of offering God sacrifices, they were offering sacrifices to idols and to devils. They had no desire nor intention of coming to God for salvation. But somehow, somehow these Gentiles that were wicked and that didn't know anything about God, somehow they got saved. Now I tell you, you sit down and with logic, 
You try to figure out how the doctors and lawyers of the law, those that had spent their entire life studying the law and the prophets, how in the world that they didn't recognize Jesus and these dumb, ignorant, heathen Gentiles did. You talk about something that does not make sense. I believe I said here a little while back, if anybody's going to believe... It's the Jew. Because they're the one that knows. There's only one conclusion you can come to. How did that happen? How did it happen that God is born in a manger and man's unaware of it and stupid shepherds in the field come and worship Him? How is that possible? Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see the thing which the Lord hath made that the Lord hath made known unto us. It was the revelation and the call of God that made them aware. How did the Gentiles attain the righteousness? God called them out of their foolishness and into the righteousness of God. So how did you come into it? How did you come in to the knowledge of the Son of God? God called you into it. Now you you pluck the call out of the picture. Where are you today? So glory be to God for the call and the revelation that delivered us. That call delivered me from sin and the devil. And it delivered me before I ever came to the altar. I came in obedience. I did. But the lies of the devil was defeated in my mind and in my heart before I ever came here. God convinced me by His call of where I was and what I needed. That's all that's on our heart. Anybody, anything you'd like to say?